Wonderful to be here today. I have just had so much fun today and I've heard some great lessons and I just appreciate this congregation. Um, man, I can tell the hard work y'all put into making this um, really special. I'm looking forward to being here in the 50th year <laughs> and seeing how things are still going uh, here for this uh, this program. So it's it's exciting to, to be a part of it. Um, of course, I'm after after lunch speaker. That's that's pretty neat. Day eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminded a little bit of the uh, of the prodigal son when he was looking at those uh, pods of the swine, and uh, I've often wondered: uh, Did he come to himself before a nap after lunch, or was it? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I hope you are at yourself <laughs> right now and are able to stay with yourself as, as we go through our, our study this afternoon. Uh, we have, I think, a, a very interesting topic, and it's good for us to spend time thinking about, about leadership and about readying ourselves for leadership and responsibilities of it. Really, we're looking at two, two different extremes, right? we got some people that just um, don't do anything. Just, just don't do and uh, you're going, man, we need you, we need you to lead type thing. On the other end, you've got the kind of diatrophies kind of guy over there that uh, he's a megalomaniac in control. Third uh, John 90 wouldn't even listen to what the apostles had to say. So <laughs> you've got some people who are in extremes. And so when we're talking about leadership, we're really talking about somewhere kind of in between and, and trying to understand uh, that, that process. I, I know that uh, we struggled uh, for the eight years <coughs> we, were, we were in the South Pacific trying to find male leadership. Most of our congregations were, were female, made up of females, uh, broken homes and things like that. And when you would find a man, a head of a family in, in the congregation, it was always a great thing. But to get him to, you know, move into that, that level of responsibility was a real challenge for us. But the problem was, is once they got, if they did decide, Dale, you remember this too, once they decided to leave, it, it was like, we don't know where to go with this. And, and so they would go to such an extreme that it was like, man, you gotta find that balance. Mm -hmm. And so with leadership, I think there's a, uh, there's a challenge to us to have some, some balance, but, so how do you know that you're really ready to lead? I, you know, uh, what what is a magic formula that gives us an idea about what leadership looks like and, and what it's supposed to be? Um, <clears throat> we have some examples in the Bible of, of people that were just kind of pressed into service in, in ways that they that they were ready. And I, and I think sometimes we kind of uh, we kind of think that uh, we're waiting on kind of a sign to say, okay, let's let's go. Um, but I can remember a couple of occasions, like back in, in Exodus chapters one through uh, through three, where you know Moses he's called in in service uh, by by God, and, and it's an interesting study. You know, in chapter one, he's raised in in Egypt and Pharaoh's household, and and it's almost like he gets to a point uh, in his adulthood that he looks around, and I don't you know I don't know what Jacobin told him growing up, and. Uh, we, you know, we just get the idea that she was grooming him for for leadership and and, and taking on a, a responsible role. And and as you read through there, it kind of gives you the idea that he's 
it's, it's kind of come still one day, and, and he starts looking out, and he sees somebody that's being mistreated, and, and, and of course, we don't know, you know, I don't know if this was like a worldwide rec- wrestling federation type fight here. You know, he might have just pushed the guy, and the guy hit his hand, and he was gone, you know, type thing. But uh, he kills this Egyptian, and, and it's like, well, man, so he hides the body, and he goes to bed, gets up the next day, sees a couple of his people that are kind of scuffling with each other, and he's going, hey, y'all need to be this way. And they're like, hey, wait a minute, I don't, I, who are you? You know, you killed that Egyptian. You're going to kill us too? But, you know, and, and then, he, you know, he kind of freaks out a little bit. He goes, he leaves, he runs, and, and sure enough, they're after him. And, but he goes out into the desert, the wilderness, and connects with the Midianites, and we know the next, you know, 40 years he's, uh, he's a shepherd, <clears throat> and so we know the story about <laughs> where God meets him, tells him, you know, remove your shoes or holy ground, and God says, I got a job for you, and, and I, I got something I want you to do, and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, and, and so, you know, God's explaining the whole thing about go to Pharaoh, let my people go type everything, and and uh, when you get over there, really, to chapter four is when you you start hearing saying, "Well, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if we can do this." And uh, the response, of course, is, "Well, look, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you some signs, you know. Take your staff, throw it down, and you know, take some water out of the Nile, and we'll turn it to blood, and and uh, and, and you know, hand it the sign, you know, come out with white as snow, you know, leprosy." And, these will be ways that you can really show that I'm with you type thing. Yeah, but Lord, I, I'm just not really good at talking. Oh, don't you know that I made mouths? I'll be with your mouth. I'll help you talk. I'll be with there so that you can say what you need to be need to say. And he goes through all the process and everything. Finally, he just says, I guess you just find somebody else to do this. And uh, God says, well, you know your brother. Your brother's old. He's, a, he's an agent. Uh, you need to connect with your brother. And your brother can work with you and he can be your mouth and I'll be with you and you, you know, you can do this. Well, I think sometimes we think that's kind of how God is going to work with us. Another another example was, uh, was Amos. Uh, over the book of Amos, you know, Amos is, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's from Judah, but he's, he's up uh, around Bethel, and, and, and he's proclaiming against uh, Jeroboam, and, and, and he's saying that God's going to destroy Israel, and he's going to lead the people off in, and, and into captivity, and, and, and Jeroboam and his house are all going to die, and, and so the priest up there, he says, who do you think you are? You don't just go back down to Judah and do your thing down there, and and, uh, you know, he comes back and he says, look, I, I, I wasn't a prophet uh, or a son of a prophet, but I was a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore figs, but the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people. So guess what? You're going to die <laughs> if this is going to happen. And so he moves right back into, uh, you know, what he was there to, to do on behalf of God. Sometimes, again, we're, we're thinking that God is going to, in some way, reach out to us and take a hold of us, and he's going to thrust us into a, a leadership position. It's, it's, it's actually more basic than that. 
It's not as grandiose as we like to think leadership looks like. Generally, when you think of a leader, uh, what a leader is to you, what, what a leader looks like to you. Well, you think of this, you know, CEO type personality, this, you know, he's, he's big, he's, he's in, in the uh, entertainment business or, you know, in, in the church, he may, he, he's an elder or, or uh, you know, she's been teaching for years and years in a Bible class program. You know, all these things we have these, these ideas about when it comes to what leaders look like, but in reality, what is a leader except a person who serves? Somebody that serves. I mean, when you, when you, when you go down the road and you see a white van on the right-hand side of the road, left-hand side of the road, and you see these guys in orange and they're walking up and down the road, these guys are not just paying for their crimes against humanity. They're actually learning how to lead. Picking up trash is learning how to lead. Uh, doing what you might constantly think is menial work in your home or in your, in your job or whatever it is, by the fact that you effectively commit yourself to doing the work itself places you in a leadership type type setting. Well, how does this look when it comes to our relationship with God? Well, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, the Bible tells us we're called by the gospel. And, and I believe that's true, but sometimes I think we, we, we think that the call actually comes at the point of hearing, believing, repenting, confessing. I'll suggest to you that we the call of the gospel starts in the cradle. It, it, it starts with a mama who's sitting there singing Jesus loves me to her little boy and little girl. Teaching them about Jesus. Introducing them to the concept of Savior at, at a young age. Uh, my grandson, granddaughter, grandson Liam, he's four years old. He has a little sister, Isla. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I came along about a year ago, and Liam is still trying to figure all that out. <laughs> but uh, because Isla, she's just pretty demanding. It's like she's in this world that's just all consuming about me, about me, about me. But her mom has actually tried to steer Liam in a direction that would be Something that would not just cause him to love his sister more. That's obviously something he has to figure out the rest of his life. But he, she is teaching him in the process when she says, go get mama and diaper. She's teaching him that he, takes, he can take a leadership role and a leadership responsibility. In Isaiah chapter 11 is this interesting passage. Turn over there with me just a minute. And I've got the scripture I want to hit there. But, uh, you know, leading up to it, this, this passage gives us and introduces us to this, uh, <clears throat> this uh, shoot that is going to come out of the, the stump of Jesse in verse 1. 
and, and he says he's going to have the spirit of the Lord resting on him and the shepherd of wisdom, or the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of counsel in might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and then he's going to judge in righteousness. But then in verse 6, he gets into a reaction. How is, how is this going to be reacted to? Well, in verse 6, he says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. Now, I've looked at this passage over the years, and I've wondered, what? Who is this child? And you go back to chapter 9, and in verse 6, and we're introduced to a, a child is born and a son is given, and he's going to be given, it, and he's going to be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and all those things. <clears throat> I think he's the stump, or, or rather the shoot that comes out of the stump. I, I think that's looking at the, same, at the same person. However, this reaction in verse 6 gives me the idea that that uh, by the presence of this shoot from the stump, uh, we're going to say it, by this presence of Jesus, people are going to react in a different way than ever before. Now, our premillennial friends love to uh, take hold of this passage and run with it, but they love the idea of, you know, being able to have wolves and lambs all get along with each other and, and, and everything. But I was reading a, uh, an idea from Homer Haley, and he says, <clears throat> when he explained this passage, he said, all things have passed away. Men and women have become new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old man has been crucified in Christ, and the new man is led by a childlike spirit. A simple alertness to hearing and learn and a readiness to obey like the little children Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3. What is it about the little children that make them so like what Jesus was looking for in the kingdom of heaven? Obviously, it was the kind of children that were going to be able to be directed in a way that they will see what's going on and they will want to be a part of it. They'll want to connect to it They'll want to be able to be involved with it, make a, a difference in it. And so verse 6 to me says, and a child will lead them. I think he's, he's really talking about a childlike spirit that will come in the person who's been changed by the blood of Christ. And it will cause them in this way to just allow the words of God to resonate with them and to make them to want to be want to be different and to <laughs> want to act in a different way and to, to do things, it's going to cause them to realize that uh, I'm responsible. You know, we talk about the age of age, age of accountability, you know, but that wake up time. I want you to know, you know, you're you know, as you're reading about all the things I did. When I went free harbor. Uh, Gary and I were talking about this the other night. Um, when I went to Free Harbor, I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life. 
I was like this, uh, look at that girl. <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> it's like my mind was just in the clouds that thing. And so that's the reason I, Scott Hart went to Fred Hardman one year. And I had some good classes, had some great teachers, and some of the best uh, dates I've ever had in my life. So, you know, I had a lot of fun uh, while I was there, but uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know why I was there. It had not gone on my time. I was baptized when I was 10 years old. I knew I'd been forgiven of my sins to this day. I know exactly what was going on. My dad, he, and he just, we went through every passage he could think of. And I grew up, and I and I was involved in, in uh, kind of the pew packers, and, and I moved into doing things as a young per, uh, person and, and, and being more involved and active. And, and, and I remember teaching Bible classes and things. But it just wasn't dawning on me. It, it, it took me a few years before I finally thought, you know, I really need to be serving. <coughs> My dad and mom were doing it in front of me. They'd been doing it for years. Helen <laughs> Karen, they were in New Zealand. They were doing it in front of me when I got there. And I was just so impressed with uh, the opportunity that... Um, it dawned in my mind. And I think part of the idea is the realization that goes along with this, this thought of when I'm ready to when I'm ready to, to, to learn. Now here, here's the thing. One of the concerns we have is for our young people and what, what's happening in the church. I know the congregation where I'm at. The elders, I mean, we, you know, we have beat our heads against the wall on this, trying to figure out how to get our kids to stay faithful. Uh, one of the elders did a uh, uh, research on how many of our kids graduated, left home, and left the Lord uh, for like 15 years. And the numbers were scary, folks. Scary. What can we do? And so we're trying to figure out ways to just connect with young people. We started an intergenerational program and uh, I don't have time to tell you all about it, but one of the things that we do is on, uh, you know, we're just doing it on Sunday nights for March and April. We're all meeting in the multi-purpose room like this, and we're sitting around tables, and we make sure that none, no family sits with each other, and we're getting teenagers, and from teenagers up to 90 years old, if we've got them, to put them around the table, and we're, we're, we're studying the scriptures, and we're asking each other to contribute, you know, to talk a little bit. And we really prize. We hear those teenagers. You think sometimes they just kind of, kind of bump on the log. But I tell you what, those young people—they got a lot to say. They think all the time about things. But to create an environment so that they can be awakened to that, so that they can share <laughs> the things that uh, that are important to them and uh, their take on what this verse says or that verse says or what what God is saying in any one circumstance. And so the idea is um, this realization. I, I think one of the big things is, is the idea of desire, creating a desire in people. Um, in First Timothy chapter 3, uh, in introducing the idea of the qualities of elders, 
uh, he says that saying is trust, trustworthy anyone who aspires to, who desires, King James Bible says, to the office of the overseer of the elder. Uh, he desires a noble task. Well, what about that word aspires to? What, what, what do we mean when we think about uh, the word aspiring to? Well, uh, Alexander Campbell's Living Oracles uh, translation of the New Testament, he, he puts it this way. He says, the saying is true if one earnestly seeks the office of a bishop, he desires <coughs> excellent work. The word aspires, the word, the words earnestly seek there is a, a regal mind, to stretch after, to eagerly desire to accomplish some goal or purpose, according to Vincent's word studies. In other words, uh, to, to try to attain to something great. Now, what's our dream? We want leadership in the church. We want men to be elders someday. We want women, to, uh, young ladies, to grow up and marry men who are going to be faithful families where men will be able to you know, fostering that opportunity where they can serve in a, in a wonderful way. That, that's, that's, our hope. That, that's our dream. But folks, we're, we're living in a time when it's hard for people to just come to church. Just get, come and board it this Sunday morning. To, to, to come back on Sunday night or Wednesday night or, or to, you know, have people in their home or, 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 or to do things that would bring us together as a body to strengthen us and to motivate leadership uh, among us. How do we get this done? Uh, it was um, Bobby Duncan. I don't know if you've got his little book on the eldership. It was a series of articles that were put together. It's called The Elders Which Are Among You. But <clears throat> what Bobby said this, this word was, this idea of desire, oregami, the idea is it was like standing on the ground under an apple tree and stretching as much as possible to grab hold of an apple. That's, that, that, that's really what, what, what he said, this desire. Should that be the way that we look at just being an elder? Why, why would we not want to do that with our whole Christian walks? Why would we want to... If, if we really have this, if God through the scriptures creates this, this concept within, within us, why isn't it making us just want to do anything for him? Just, just Lord, what, whatever you ask me to do. Somehow we've we got to get the point of the power of the cross across to one another to instill that concept so that it will cause us to reach out. And, and, and to desire, uh, desire leadership, uh, leadership responsibilities. So how, how, do we, how do we get to this point? Well, <clears throat> I think one of the things is the idea of discovery. Um, back in uh, 1986, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to Wales for a Bible campaign. And so we had a few days uh, before we went back home, so we went, went over to uh, around London and we went out to Windsor. And of course, this Windsor Castle, where you know the Queen had all for years and years and years, uh, hundreds of years, this is this has been the home of the of the royalty of uh, of England. And so we were there. We were impressed with it. We really weren't there long enough. Didn't have time to go in. 
But um, they say that at the top of the private residence stairwell, where the well, what's the Queen Anne's King Charles, where where they go up to, you know, where their bedrooms are and everything, that there's this statue up there, and the statue here is of a little boy. The little boy is is uh, meant to be Edward the Sixth. You remember Edward the Sixth? He was the son of Henry the Eighth. Now you know we know when we think of Henry the Eighth, you know we think about all the wives and everything. But you remember why there were all the wives? Because of this boy. He wanted a boy. He finally got a boy. And Edward, bless his heart, was not a very strong young man. So he comes to the throne about 1827, and he's only nine years old. And so there is commissioned a sculptor to sculpt this, this statue of Edward VI. And what you see here is you've got Edward, he is holding, kind of looks like a baton. It's really meant to be like a scepter. Well, the scepter was the rule, right? But if you notice what he's doing, he's actually looking down at a book. Now that, they said, was a Bible. And on this Bible page that he's discernedly looking at are the following words. Josiah was eight years old. When he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adai and of Bozcat. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of David, his father did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Well, like I said, Edward was nine. He was only on the throne for about six years before he died. And then when Mary, Bloody Mary, comes to the throne, and that's a whole different story. But uh, it, was, uh, it was said that Queen Victoria and um, her, her husband, Prince Albert, that was their favorite statue in the whole of Windsor Castle. And I think mainly because it was a reminder to them about what a responsibility had been placed in their hands. When, uh, when Josiah comes to the throne, he's only eight years old. So we learned some things about his life, about the concept of discovery that is impressive to us and I think was something that will help us as as we contemplate what it is to know that it's time for you to lead or how to lead uh, in, in your life. And I think the concept is, is really, really strong in this passage of Scripture. And so uh, you may just want to, just quickly, because we, we still have about 10 minutes, we can look at uh, Second, uh, or Second Kings chapter, chapter 22 and just notice a, a few things there. So this young man, he comes to the throne and uh, he is uh, called upon to, uh, 
terrain, but he's only eight years old. And, uh, and of course, Jedediah, his mother is, you know, it doesn't say the word regent, but we would, we would understand that she had some responsibility in raising that boy. And so I think there was some, you, you would get the sense because of what we know is ultimately going to be done by Josiah, that there is a great amount of influence that's taking place in that young man's life by his mother. I think it's a sense of constancy. Something that is a constant reminder day in and day out about the responsibility that had been placed, was going to be placed upon her son when he finally did have the ball roll with himself. And so what does constancy look like in the life of a parent? I would say once again, from the time a child enters into this world, we as parents have an opportunity to instill uh, in our, our child's mind. I get this picture of a pregnant woman who's, who's looking in the mirror. She's never had a child. She's, she's kind of rubbing her stomach and she's looking down. What is she saying? What is she, what is she saying to this baby? Or an expectant father. He's laying in bed next to this, this stomach. And, and, and they know and they're, and they're excited and I think that's why God gives them nine months. It gives us nine months. It gives us time to contemplate what, what we're going to be able to do to help these people to grow up and be leaders. To, to be uh, not only successful in the world, but especially successful in God. What do you say to that child? <coughs> do we say, you know, my little boy, my little man, he's going to be a great pitcher? Or do we say, my little man, you're going to be a great I mean, a lot of it's just kind of how we look at it and what we think about it. I would encourage this sense of constancy and that we continually try to, to instill in the minds of our children as they're growing up about the importance of, man, were you not blown away about what you just saw a few moments ago with Dawson? Um, I thought his dad had pretty cool. I, I don't know if I could have handled that quite so well. But you know what I saw? I saw a reflection of what mom and dad poured into that boy. We saw that. I tell you what, I'm, pr I'm proud of uh, the last leaders program. We didn't, we didn't have that when I was a kid. Uh, and, I, and I remember being in a little preacher class that my dad uh, taught, and that's all we had type thing. But man, um, it, it, it is so exciting to see young people growing up and learning all these things about leadership responsibilities, leadership skills. And it's something that we're, you know, we're all striving to do. And, we, you know, your congregation may not be in the last of leaders, but I know, you know, people are, are concerned. What's, what's going to happen to the future of our in the church? Is it going to be strong? Are we going to have strength in the church? Well, it starts, it starts a long time before they even become a Christian. Uh, it's happens when they're growing up. It's all about choice. There in that uh, that passage of uh, verse verse one, where uh, he he is said to uh, uh, do you know, or verse two rather, uh, he says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. Folks, 
You don't, you don't do what's right in the sight of the Lord unless you've made some choices, unless you've decided for yourself. I, I love Joshua's mentality of me and my house are going to serve God. When, when a kid gets to the point where he says, I'm going to serve God, and, and, and if, I, if I died tonight and I, I wasn't baptized, then you know, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. I wouldn't go to heaven. Instill within that child the, the, the sense of leadership responsibility. They make choices there. They're going to know that they're going to be making choices the rest of their life. And so we see uh, a sense of choice that was taking place uh, in the life of, of this young man. Certainly didn't have great advantage of, you know, the leadership of his father or his grandfather uh, to look back on. Uh, concerning what they did. So the idea of uh, making good choices, certainly he made good choices. Uh, in verse 4, the Bible says that um, he commanded, uh, it says, go to Hilkiah the high priest, now he's 18, says that go to Hilkiah the priest that we may count the money that we have, uh, that has been brought into the house of the Lord, uh, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people and let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have oversight in the house of the Lord and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord preparing the house. In other words, he just kind of divvies out this sense of responsibility uh, to go and, and he looks around, he sees what needs to be done and he, he commands it to be done. I, I think the more you instill within yourself the mind of God, the easier it is going to be for you to make good good choices and of course 11 to 13 is is probably one of the, the crunch times for him you know they find the the, uh, the 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 law of the lord hidden in the house house of the lord and, and they bring it out and and they read it to the to the king and he says in verse 13 go and, and inquire the lord uh, for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book have been found for greatest the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the book the words um, of the book to do according to all that is written concerning us we need to we need to find out what God wants us to do and we need to make commitment to doing those things the very best of our ability. In, in the end, folks, it's about making choices in life. Um, as I said a while ago, you know, we, we, we are called by the gospel, and it's a call that continues even after you're a Christian. Uh, you, God continues to call you. He's continuing to beckon, to beckon to you to, to, to stand up, to get involved, to, to realize your greatest potential for him uh, in service to him. So thank you so much for letting me come talk to you.